0: you're about to listen to a special preview edition of the grant williams podcast featuring my very special guest daniel want of prerequisite capital management in brisbane australia daniel is a remarkably thoughtful investor who never fails to leave me with an awful lot to ponder whenever we chat if you're not familiar with his work i suspect this conversation will simultaneously open your eyes and blow your mind as it did mine Every episode of the Grant Williams podcast, including The Endgame, The Super Terrific Happy Hour, and The Narrative Game, is available to Copper and Silver Tier subscribers at my website, grant-williams.com. Copper Tier subscribers get access to all podcasts, while members of the Silver Tier get both the podcasts and my monthly newsletter, Things That Make You Go, Hmm. So if you enjoy what you hear on this show and we want more high-quality content like it, please make your way over to grant-williams.com and join our exciting community today. And with that, please enjoy the show. Daniel, so good to see you again mate. It's been way too long. Thanks for taking the time early on a Saturday morning for you to, to do this with me.
1: Yeah, nah, it's good to catch up again.
0: Yeah, it's it, it must be it must be probably four, maybe 5 years since we sat down in Sydney for a chat. Oh yeah,
1: nah, sitting down face to back face at that definitely feels like an eternity ago.
0: Yeah, no, exactly right. Well, look, there's a bunch of stuff I want to talk to you about today. But before we get into that, and there's there's one specific thing that I really, really want to dig into with you regarding your investment framework. But but before that, there will be people listening to this who, um, by the end of it, are going to be saying, why the hell haven't I heard about this guy before? So for them, just just give us the quick potted background about how you ended up doing what you're doing now and, and your kind of journey to today, if you can.
1: Yep. so... The short version is uh, something like 20 years ago, got out of school, wanted to understand how the world worked, thought university would help with that, finance, economics, got halfway into it, realized it wasn't that helpful, fired the university, figured I could do a better job teaching myself or at least trying to figure stuff out for myself. I was young and naive enough to actually do <laughs> on that became a hermit for multiple years, you know, with another box of books rocking up on the doorstep every few weeks. Fortunately, Amazon existed. Yeah. You know, the secondhand book markets were actually really helpful tracking down a lot of historic things that were hard to get a hold of. But anyway, eventually I had to get back into the real world again Uh, or through that period was sort of threw myself into trading derivatives and all sorts of things. Anyway, just for fun. And I figured what better way to learn. And then basically Google search, you know, global macro hedge fund. Uh, surprisingly, <laughs> yeah. there was one in Brisbane. I thought that I'd be heading to Melbourne or somewhere and called them up. Look, can I talk to the managing director? He doesn't know me from a bar of soap. I'd love to buy him lunch. I want to do what he's doing in 10 years time. You know, they felt sorry for me that he gave me a call back. He actually grilled me a bit because clearly he, he's a busy, yeah. busy guy. Um, but in the end, he ended up offering well we caught up for breakfast a few days later one hour turned into multiple hours and pretty much offered me a a start you know as an analyst and and sort of introduced me to some things after that that kind of more or less got me into the industry roughly speaking fast forward about eight years ago out of much frustration some of my colleagues and I basically launched our own firm, uh, much frustration in terms of what we were seeing going on in the industry. Yeah. And what was happening with family and friends, especially through the sort of leading up to and through and after the 2008 period where we thought probably a better way to do things. It seemed to be a an excessively predatory environment uh, in the finance world, especially yeah. for average families trying to find solutions and etc. Uh, so we thought, where we create something uh, and if it was good enough for our own family and friends, probably other people would like it too. Eight years later, still going and Here you are. doing okay. Yeah. And no,
0: you know, it's fascinating. There's, there's so many parts of that that are similar to my own path. You know, I, I didn't go to uni or college or whatever you want to call it either. I, I got straight in and, and again, l- lucky ex- entrance into the business. And like you calling the guy up, I was just badgering the guy in the trading room to give me a job ultimately. But you know, back then you could do that. It wasn't, such a off base thing to do i'm also thinking about this would make the worst montage in in your life story if it was a rocky film the the books turning up at the door the training montage is just you flicking through pages of books it would it would be a lousy montage
1: yeah that's right i mean lots of funny conversations where everyone would consistently think i was crazy um yeah you know you're doing what now you're quitting what you know you <laughs> And what are you going to do And you know, in trying to figure out how the world worked, was no small task. And obviously our pendulum swung from the academic environment. And so I didn't want to read or learn from anyone who hadn't been there, done that, been successful, yeah. you know, either in building a business or investing or anticipating events, et cetera. And that was quite helpful, you know, and so one book would multiply into 10 because you'd go through you know, why does he think that way? Or if there's an offhanded comment or, you know, you just start drilling. But what what gave you the,
0: really the balls to do that? Because it's it's a big move. And also you need a very specific mindset slash work ethic to do it that way effectively.
1: Well, what I don't tell people is, to the end of high school, like a, a lot of primary and high school, you know, I was more interested in, in soccer and other things. I couldn't see the point to a lot of different things we we're doing purely because maybe I I didn't have anyone to be able to explain and, and connect purpose. Didn't read a lot, you know, when I was younger and so out of high school and then getting into uni and starting to get uh, motivated, my parents were a little bit blown away going from someone who'd never really read before to having boxes of books. Right. Every, couple of weeks but also with our family backgrounds we're in a kind of unique situation where my parents were helping a lot of people who had been hurt basically the tail end of not fantastic stuff in terms of regulatory pharmaceuticals right uh, even chemicals pesticides the, the whole works and so I'd had this you know growing up looking at my parents helping people who had uh, kind of been destroyed by the way the world worked and the circumstance. Yeah. The sure. Way, yeah. The whole variety of different things. And so I was like, Whoa, you know, you've kind of really got to start to sit up and pay attention about how things really work, not just surface level, superficial sort of understandings because incentives can be a little bit skew if sometimes, and there can be some conflicts of interest at key junctures they underpin trust in society. Yeah. And so that definitely sort of jarred the paradigm to a degree in that you really do need to think for yourself in this world or, you know, uh, it, it doesn't end well if you don't, unfortunately. And so that sort of laid the foundations. Also, when you burn your bridges, you get pretty motivated and pretty focused. Uh, <laughs> right. And so, you know, every six months it was like, have I actually just ruined my life by quitting all of this and, and you know, doing the hermit, figure out the world routine? Or But then you pull yourself out and it's like, actually, what I'm learning here is fantastic. Like this is phenomenal and you're connecting dots in all sorts of unrelated fields and, and you just sort of keep going. I figured because of the quality of what it felt like I was learning, especially compared to where I came from, you know, yeah. from the university side of things, just figured it had to pay off. Eventually, and and like I say, you burn your bridges. You, you, it it definitely focuses you.
0: Yeah, yeah no, no two ways about that. When you transition from working for someone to starting your own firm, just talk a little bit about that because it again, it's it's one thing to sit in a chair and do a job and have a set of responsibilities to focus on, uh, and you can channel all your kind of mental energy and your focus into your fund, your trading book, your sector, whatever it may be. But obviously, the broader distractions of setting up your own firm and you know in no small way, taking on friends and family money to manage, that elevates that level of responsibility to a much much higher plane. how did you How did you cope with that?
1: Yeah, uh, I wouldn't exactly call it fun um, <laughs> but Darren, who's uh, my business partner who we sort of launched this thing together. He's a class act. So whole world of capability, multi-decades of experience. That definitely helped a lot. Yeah, Um, for sure. And then also responsibility is a big thing. It's, It's something that society, I guess, is lacking these days. And when you start taking responsibility for the little things, you know, even that tends to sort of cascade into taking responsibility for bigger things, especially when, you know, at that point. I'd spent a lot of years trying to understand how things worked, how to navigate things, especially then in a hedge fund and funds management context when I started into that industry. And really it it just came down to taking a lot of common sense sort of ideas pretty seriously. Um, Yeah. That kind of keeps you safe. We also, you know, placed a a large premium on resiliency and sort of a, a more conservative focused set of strategies because that was part of what was missing in our view There's no shortage of the more aggressive stuff out there. But just having something that is somewhat liquid, resilient, it's not going to shoot the lights out in terms of investment returns, but you're going to have peace of mind, irrespective of the circumstances we once run through, whether it's another global financial crisis or booms, busts, whatever. If we can just produce consistent inflation plus two to five or six ish percent in a consistent sort of compounding sort of way. And when we do get sort of issues or crises or recessions come through every five to 10 years on average, well, we're intact and, and we can step in, or our clients can also step in to pick up high quality assets at bargain basement prices uh, more often than not. And so, over time, that resiliency actually then becomes, just like in business, a competitive advantage. So, if you can sustain the multiple cycles when competitors are being taken out or assets are coming on sale cheap. It's a very conservative way to compound wealth and protect wealth as well over multiple cycles without losing sleep basically. And so we focused on the more conservative, resilient, liquid sort of all weather style strategies but we do so in a way where we don't use derivatives, don't use leverage. The full
0: conversation is available to subscribers to the copper and silver tiers of my website, grant-williams.com. Nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or
1: speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets.